All right, well, you're getting a lot of me this morning. Uh, It's great to be here, uh, moving us into week three of a series we've been on called Hearing God. Um, This series has been all about hearing God. Uh, And so this morning, to begin, I wanted to actually tell you about something that happened to me this last week. Um, It's a crazy story, actually. I was driving to the dentist. Uh, I was in my car when all of a sudden... I mean, can you believe that? Uh, So obviously we have a very fun, creative team who was wrestling with the question, how do we communicate the noise (laughs) that so often fills our lives and gets in the way of the stories that we need to hear? Uh, This morning, I want to talk to you about three noises, uh, physical noise, psychological noise, and spiritual noise when it comes to hearing from God. Um, But before we dive into those three noises, I want to just give you a definition. We have, as a church, been talking this whole last year about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, and we've had this simple definition we've repeated a number of times, which we've said, a disciple is a person who hears from God and does what he says. Now, if you sit with this definition for just a second, a disciple is a person who hears from God and does what he says. The assumption in this definition is that if you are following Jesus, if you're going to be able to disciple, pattern your life after Jesus, then you're going to need to first and foremost hear from God, right? Hear from God. So the question we've been asking in this series is how do we hear from God? How do we hear from God? First week, we talked about hearing from God in Jesus. Uh, Week two, we talked about hearing from God in Scripture. Um, This week, I want to talk to you about hearing from God in the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit's whisper to your life. Um, In order to dive into this still, small voice, there's this incredible story in the Bible that's found in the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Kings 19. And Uh, You've maybe heard this story before, maybe you've seen it, but to give you just a little bit of context on it, there was a prophet named Elijah, the prophet Elijah. And Elijah had a bone to pick with the royal court. In fact, uh, Ahab, the king in the royal court, had a series of prophets that were all prophets for the god Baal. This was the god of fertility, the god of thunderstorms. And Ahab kind of liked straddling the line. There was Elijah on the one hand who claimed to speak for Yahweh, the God of Israel. And then there were all these other prophets that Ahab kept around that spoke on behalf of Baal, the God of fertility, the God of thunderstorms. And so at one climactic moment, you can read about Elijah's life, there was lots going on. In this climactic moment, Elijah sets up a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. He says, famously, uh, I'm going to put an altar here. I'm going to douse it with water, and you set up your altar over there, and you, prophets of Baal, call on your God, and I'm going to call on my God, and let's see what happens. So the prophets of Baal start doing this. They're chanting. They're praying. They're calling. Nothing is happening. It's getting worse and worse. And then Elijah famously, this is an incredible story, Elijah prays humbly and simply to God, and God responds by sending fire down from heaven, consuming the sacrifice, and these prophets of Baal are defeated. Or so it would seem. 
uh, this moment in Elijah's life arguably is the high moment of public demonstration of God's power, God's might, God's intimacy, God's response to who Elijah is. And yet, almost immediately after this huge, climactic, incredible moment, Elijah hears word from Jezebel, the queen of Ahab, that Jezebel says, your life is in my hands and you will die as soon as I find you. Elijah, for maybe understandable reasons, maybe unexpected reasons, instead of stepping up, stepping back, coming in with the power and fortitude of God to confront Jezebel, Elijah takes off and runs. In fact, Elijah runs into the wilderness. There's this moment in 1 Kings 18 where Elijah looks at God and says, I wish I could just die. And then as Elijah's sitting there, laying on the ground in the wilderness, God sends an angel to comfort Elijah, feeds Elijah, and says to Elijah, come meet me on the mountain. Come meet me on the mountain. Now, I was just diving into this in 1 Kings 19. Um, it's interesting that Elijah heads to Mount Sinai in this lowest of the low moment. Elijah goes from the highest of the high. He hears God. He experiences God. God is showing up in Elijah's life to this lowest of the low. Elijah's like in the desert by himself saying, God, it's better if I would just die. And the place God invites Elijah to meet him is Sinai. is the place where Moses went up to meet and hear with God. I love, I love that in these moments of crisis, if you are desperate, if you are disillusioned, if you are confused, what the Bible reveals is that God does want to meet you. God wants to meet you in your desperation, in your disillusionment, in your confusion. Um, perhaps God maybe even wants to meet you in a familiar place. Sinai is a familiar place for Israel. And yet I was uh, contemplating Sinai, right, this mountain, this mountain of the Lord. And in fact, if you look through the Old Testament, oftentimes God meets Israel on the mountain. God meets Israel on the mountain uh, in the Old Testament. And if you ask yourself why, why were mountains places that God wanted to meet Israel? Uh, the beautiful thing about a mountain is that it's tall, right? We in Illinois do not know this. Uh, when was the last time you had a chance to see a mountain? Uh, my family's in Arizona right now. Arizona has majestic mountains. And you know, if you go to the top of a mountain, it is breathtaking. It is beautiful. You feel space and time differently on the mountain. You're like, so I, I feel in a different relationship to the world down below when I am up on a mountain. But maybe most notably, and this is my, my last observation about God inviting Elijah to meet him on a mountain, it takes effort to get to the top of a mountain. Have you ever tried to climb a mountain before? There is no easy path up. Again, from Arizona, uh, switchbacks happening on the mountain, you know, where the path zigzags like this. This is most mountain trails. They have the zigzag. Have you ever hiked a switchback? It's not easy. It doesn't take the effort out. This is your steep incline slope that you are moving up, and I can't help but wonder, is it possible that God invites Elijah to meet him on the mountain because God knows there is beauty, there is sacredness, there's going to be a change in perspective for Elijah, and yet it's going to take Elijah effort to go meet God on the mountain. Elijah's going to have to lean in. Elijah's going to have to, to work his way up. So here's where Elijah goes. Uh, this is 1 Kings 19.9. We'll dive into the story here. Then he, Elijah, went into a cave on Mount Sinai and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
Isn't that a wonderful invitation? I'm going to highlight it for you. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah is there because he's overwhelmed. In fact, if you read Elijah's response, Elijah says, the the prophets are all against me. God, the the queen is threatening my life. I did this grand, glorious thing and it hasn't made any difference here. And now I think I'm the only one left and I'm frustrated and I'm confused. And God says to Elijah, come meet me. Come meet me on the mountain. Now, this is a story you've maybe heard before, but I just want to read this text over you. This is 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13. The question is this. How will God meet Elijah in his discouragement? How does God meet Elijah in his disillusionment and despair? This is what the Lord does. The Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great, powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't this amazing? I think uh, just very practically for most of us, We go through our spiritual lives, and for some of us, there are these wonderful highest of highs moments. Uh, Maybe for you, it's the first time you heard the gospel about Jesus. Um, For me, I know some of my highest of highs were actually youth experiences. When I was in a youth group, when I did missions trips, when I was sort of committing all this time and energy and focus to just being with other Christians, and we were singing kumbaya around fires, right? Like literal kumbaya was happening around fires. And it's this wonderful, amazing experience of God showing up. But then, from the highest of highs, most of you here, if you've been following Jesus at all for a time, you find yourself with Elijah in one of these valleys of despair, right? In one of these lowest of the lows. And the problem for us is when we're in the lowest of the lows, most of us think God is going to have to show up again with the fire, with the earthquake, with the stones shattering across our lives. But this story is so important for Christians through the ages because it says emphatically, God needs to meet us in the quiet God needs to meet us with a whisper, particularly if you are disillusioned, discouraged, or despairing. Uh, So what does this whisper look like? I love this quote from Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg's a British pastor. I'm actually my wife who's from Northern Ireland. Grew up reading Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg started this whole movement of prayer cells around the UK, and now it's gone across the globe. He is this incredible prayer. And this is what Pete Gregg says on this passage. Perhaps the problem with such displays of power And the reason God patently refrains from speaking in such ways most of the time is that they belie the fundamental gentleness and intimacy of God's heart. Dramatic revelations impress for sure, but they can also intimidate, dominate, and alienate those on the receiving end. And so the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime, chooses to whisper in our ear way more often than he shouts from the skies. Okay, so the point is, as Christians have reflected on what hearing from God looks like, most of the time, and you can can take me to the bank with this, I'm saying this pastorally, most of the time, God is not going to speak to you 
with powerful displays, the miraculous, the earth-shattering, the highest of the highs, most of the time, God is going to offer you a gentle whisper in the lowest of the lows. So what does this whisper look like practically then? What, what is a whisper? Um, for me, a, a whisper from God is often like a gentle nudge. Um, so sometimes there's something concrete. Sometimes it can just be something that catches my attention. It can feel a little bit like a flutter, a movement inside. Sometimes it can be a word or guidance. I notice whispers for me especially happen when I'm slowing down. They particularly happen when I am reading scripture. So spending time in scripture often creates a space or container for God to nudge or to whisper. And oftentimes these whispers are just simply encouragement. Isn't that nice? Like most of the time if you spend time with God, God does just want to meet you with gentleness, compassion, and encouragement. But sometimes these whispers also can look like whispers for other people. So the Holy Spirit can give me a nudge when I'm thinking about somebody to say, hey, you should pray for them, or maybe better yet, send a text message to them. Um, sometimes whispers can be very direct words that are something to offer, just again, an encouragement, some sort of um, just gentle nudge on my behalf to reach out, to say something directly to someone. Um, sometimes Whispers can look like noticing and paying attention to something I would otherwise miss. So I find this especially in Chicago. When I'm walking the streets, uh, I even have this path. I run to the gym, and I've recently, in the last year, just been trying to pay attention to the whispers as I'm in the city. What is it that God wants me to pay attention to that I might otherwise miss? Um, I love, there's a couple of passages that talk very directly about this. One is Isaiah 30, 21. Isn't this kind of beautiful? God says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Um, Jesus speaks directly about this sort of whisper from God. He's going to say in John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you, gently nudge you of everything I have said to you. And then finally, we've been tracking this story with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, they have this interesting phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases. I mentioned this two weeks ago when we were talking about this passage. This is Luke 24, 32. The disciples who were walking with Jesus and didn't realize it was Jesus said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but have you noticed when your heart burns within you? Is it possible that that moment, that moment, whether it's seeing something beautiful, whether it's that like wonderful moment of laughter and friendship when you're with friends and you're just having a great time together, or maybe it's that sort of like intense thrum that starts to happen when somebody starts having a vulnerable, serious conversation with you. Have you ever experienced that? Is it possible that that burning heart is actually God trying to whisper to you, trying to get your attention? Now here's the problem with God choosing so often to whisper to us the problem is that we have so much noise all over our lives, right? This is just the very obvious problem. If God is most often speaking in a whisper, the very next question to ask ourselves is, how often are we actually quiet enough to hear God whispering? Um, the first noise I mentioned that I wanted to talk about is physical noise. Uh, there's actually some really fascinating studies, I don't know if any of you saw this when COVID was going on, about just 
the amount of noise that our current modern world makes. Uh, this is traffic on the roads. We live right by a really busy road. If you sit in our apartment, sometimes I just get dull to it, but then I'll sort of check in and realize there's just this like roar <laughs> happening in front of our windows all the time. Uh, there are planes flying overhead. There is electricity humming. Even here in this room, you can hear it if I get too quiet with you. Uh, this is physical noise that is just filling the airwaves. And some of the studies um, highlighted during COVID when we were all forced inside. Did you see this? The earth like healed <laughs> for a moment as the noise just went down from our travel, from our constant movement and flow. Um, but really practically, one of the most helpful books I've seen on actually addressing the amount of physical noise in your life is probably the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know we've talked about this a couple weeks. Um, James Clear has these very practical thoughts on how to make small changes that you actually want <laughs> for your life, not just like hard changes for hard changes' sake, but small changes that can create space for the things that you most value. And so as a community, if God is primarily whispering to us, then I think each of us are being encouraged, invited this Sunday to ask ourselves, is there a small change you could make to actually create a container, a space for God to whisper to you? Um, I like to talk, thinking about these sort of small practical steps you can take, uh, as I like to talk about sacred time and sacred place. So creating sacred times and creating sacred places in our lives. I have two very practical tools that any of us can use if you are interested in doing such things. The first tool with sacred time is literally the timer on your phone. <laughs> have any of you tried this? Uh, so here's my thing. I'm, I'm like way too, way too motion-oriented. So if you sit me down and say, John, be still, then my brain will start moving first, and then normally I'm on my phone and my hands will start moving, and then I'm like into relationships. So I'm like, I find myself calling people, I'm texting people, there's just way too much motion going on in my life. And so one of the things I have to do is to set aside time to be still. So for me, the most effective way I've done this is quite literally pull up my phone, set a timer, and when I am not doing well, uh, which happens regularly, I start with five minutes, right? This is, not a big, this is not a big commitment, and this normally for me because kids are in the morning and they are chaos. Uh, my timer starts normally right before the workday. So if I can get a timer going at about 8.30, 9 a.m., you know, as I'm moving into the workday, it's all it takes, five minutes. And for those five minutes, my goal is to sit and breathe and be still. And it is incredible, I find, when I set this time aside, one, that my anxiety starts to go down almost immediately uh, as soon as I start sitting still, being still, breathing. Um, two, I start to find that like my intentionality and focus across my life, whether it's intentionality in my family, intentionality with my wife, intentionality with my kids, all of that starts to go up. Uh, but three, I find really consistently, if I set a timer and I start sitting in that moment listening, I find that God starts whispering. God starts whispering all the time if you set aside some sacred time. Now, I know for some of you, you may be constantly in motion. Sacred time doesn't have to be sitting in your home. Sacred time could be your commute uh, into work. It could be your commute home. It could be time right before you go to bed. It could be time in the afternoon during your lunch break. Uh, any of us can find five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes set aside sacred time. Uh, the one other idea I have for you is sacred place. Now, sacred place connects to this idea of Elijah meeting God on the mountain. Sacred place is just simply finding places that activate your senses to be aware of God. So um, I've heard people describe having a chair 
in their home. That's the place they sit to listen to God's whispers. Again, this could be your car. Uh, this could be your desk. This could be simply moving to that place in nature, the park. It could be a walk that you go on. I've used all of those at different points. But here's my last hack for you. This is just very practical. I find that a candle, this was a game changer for me, a candle, lighting a candle. I am not a man prone to candles, okay? Uh, this is not something intuitive. This is, I don't have a deep stack of them that I was like naturally using. Um, but I had this encouragement, try lighting a candle when you want to spend time with God. And one of the fun, deep thoughts from it that was very scriptural was someone saying, you know, when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, there were tongues of fire that sat on the disciples' heads and shoulders. And so you light a flame to remind yourself the Holy Spirit is here and God wants to whisper to you. What's fun about a candle is that it kind of hits all your senses. If you pick a nice smelling candle, which is not hard to do, they all smell nice. Uh, they sort of waft over you. And for me, if I set a timer, sacred time, and I light a candle, sacred place, and then wherever I am, I suddenly have transported myself to the mountain where I am preparing to hear from God. Um, those are just some ideas around uh, physical noise. And I want to encourage you, experiment. Try. See what works for you. Is there a place in your life that you could set aside sacred time and sacred place to minimize the physical noise? Um, here's the deeper problem, though. Physical noise is really important. But I think... One of the things that has surprised me over the last 10 years of following Jesus, as I've matured through my 20s and headed into my 30s, is that it's not just physical noise that can distract us from hearing God's whispers. It can often also be psychological noise. Now, I know that sounds a little fancy. All I'm describing in psychological noise is the dull buzz going on in the back of your head, particularly for any of you like me who are prone to stress, who are prone to anxiety, who are prone to depression, um, or who are possibly exposed to more horrendous, traumatic, you know, heart-wrenching things that have happened across your life. Um, I just recently have been working through Brene Brown's book on the Atlas of the Heart, where she's describing all these different emotions, and her definition of anguish really sat with me, uh, that she describes the emotional state of anguish as a mix of shock, incredulity, and powerlessness when something in your life shifts uncontrollably away from you. Shock, incredulity, and powerlessness. I think one of the biggest damages that has happened in people that I love's spiritual journeys that has derailed them from following God has been these horrendous, unexpected losses that have exposed them to anguish, and they thought God was going to meet them here in the fire, in the earthquake, in the stone-shattering you know, amazingness of life, and instead, there's this dull roar flowing through their senses of incredulity, shock, powerlessness, and they're like, I can't hear God. Like, where is God? Why is it so quiet? And so one of the most helpful things I've noticed with psychological noise is that you, you do need help. Uh, so for me, with psychological noise, I have found that a therapist can be incredibly helpful, although this also can look like a small group that you're processing life with. This can look like chatting with a pastor. This could look like finding a spiritual director. Um, anyone that you trust can help listen to the psychological noise that's flowing through you and be able to hold it with you. Um, but then I've also found that breathing, breathing, focusing on your breathing, is a way that you can return to your body from the psychological noise that's sort of growing in the back of your mind. In fact, this is Brene Brown's quote again. Uh, she, she says in her research and in her work, she has noticed so much of effective trauma work today 
is not only about reclaiming our breath, our feelings, and our thinking, but also getting our bones back and returning to our bodies. So some of the work that you have in front of you, if there's a lot of psychological noise flowing through your life, is you have to, you have to get back into your body. <laughs> and when you get back into your body, you can actually start creating some silence to be able to hear God whispering to you again. Um, this does lead me, though, to my final noise, and that is spiritual noise. For some of us, uh, spiritual noise has looked like uh, just noisy things in our life, you know, busy noise. So the reason why you're not hearing anything from God is that you've got pickleball every Tuesday. You've got, you know, drinks with your friends on Wednesday. There's just so much going on. Like, where is there room for a spiritual life to flow through you? However, for others of us, the spiritual noise has looked like painful past experiences, painful disillusionment, moments when you've gone to hear from God and you haven't been able to hear where God is speaking, or maybe there's been a church or a leader you've been involved in that has led to immense disappointment, or maybe just in general, uh, with COVID, with life shifting, being here in the city, you've been asking yourself, what, what use really is the church? What use really is coming back to God? Here's my final encouragement for you. The story of Elijah is a story about spiritual noise. <laughs> the story of Elijah is about how sometimes when things are so powerful and so good, when the prophets have been defeated, when God has shown up miraculously, when it's your highest of high, you actually are going to find yourself immediately down here in the lowest of the low. And that, that jolt from highs to lows, from triumph to tragedy, can be so disorienting that you thought God either abandoned you in that process or you thought that somehow God was the one who caused you to end up now down here in the valley. And instead, I love this passage. God is wanting to ask you the same question that he asked Elijah. He says, come, come meet me. Come meet me once again. Come meet me on the mountain. When you come here, it is not going to be in the fire. It's not going to be in the earthquakes. It's not going to be in the stones. It's going to be in the gentleness of a whisper that I want to speak to you again. So this morning, um, to just actually try to practice what we're preaching, I wanted to give you a moment to sit in silence. And actually, I want to very concretely invite you to practice breathing with me as a chance to create some space where we're going to be able to see if there's anything God has for you in a whisper. Now, let me just encourage you, this doesn't need to be a special moment. This doesn't need to be a pressure-filled moment. Um, this could just be a nice moment to actually be quiet <laughs> for one whole minute in the flow of your week. Um, but one of the things I really highly encourage is for you to put your feet on the ground if they're not already on the ground. It kind of just gets you comfortable and settled. You can rest your hands right here on your knees. It's another really easy way to do it. Or you can set your palms face up. That's really up to you. And all we're going to do is breathe together. We're going to focus on our breath. This is one of those tools that helps us return to our bodies and as we do this, I want to encourage you to begin to silently listen to God. In just a moment, there's going to be some slides on the screen that are going to be moving and preparing us for communion. And then after that, Jenna's going to come forward, and she's going to invite us to stand and respond as the music once again begins to play. But for just this next probably 60 seconds, we're going to take some time to be silent. So first, let's go ahead and take a deep breath in and hold it. So you count to three with me. One, two, three, breathe in. Hold one, two, three, and then you can release it. You can go ahead and try that again, a deep breath in. You can breathe through your nose and hold, and then release it. This is just a simple exercise to let you 
Be present to yourself in the silence. Take one more deep breath in with me as we spend time listening to God. Come, Holy Spirit, and whisper to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.